Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. I want to say a quick thank you to those of you who have left ratings and reviews over the last few weeks. It lets me know you appreciate the content, and even more importantly, ratings and reviews help raise our profile in the search engines, and that helps others find the podcast. So I really do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. And also, thank you for indulging me over the last couple of weeks as I shared episodes that were a little more personal with regard to our daughter, Hannah. Y'all have been so gracious in your comments and prayers for our family as we passed yet another year mark since she left us for heaven. And I'm so thankful for the healing God has brought to our family over the years and for the joy it brings knowing that we are one year closer to seeing her again. I'm so pleased to introduce you today to my friend, Deborah Irvin. We first met her and her husband, Steve, in January of 2020 at our While We're Waiting weekend in Huntsville, Alabama, and we had the privilege of hearing her daughter, Caitlin's story. In the first half of this two-part episode, Debbie shares how her beautiful Caitlin's life was taken from her and how God called her to be still in the ensuing legal process. I hope you'll settle in and listen as she shares her heart with us today. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I've been excited about visiting with you. So I always like to give my guests an opportunity to tell a little bit about themselves. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. Okay, so originally I am from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And in 2020, God gave me an opportunity to sell my home and move to Arkansas. So I am currently in Arkansas. My youngest daughter lives here, so I'm close by the family. And uh, it's been great thus far. I haven't been here quite a year, but it's been good. Yeah. Well, we've enjoyed having you a little bit closer here to the refuge. It was nice to have you be able to attend one of our mom's days recently. So um, tell us a little bit more, just kind of what you do and uh, your hobbies, things that you enjoy, just so we can get to know you a little bit. All right. Well, of course, family is everything to me. Uh, I love being with my kids. I love sharing books with my kids. We actually just recently started a um, book club, virtual book club. So we've enjoyed that time together uh, once a month. So we've picked some very lively books, <laughs> some good, some not, <laughs> but it's been good to uh, be able to be here with them. I know that um, currently I am retired. I retired from Ford Credit after 25 years, and that was in December of 2020. And uh, so since then, I here in Arkansas, I mopped my daughter's floors for a very long time until I decided I needed to find a part-time job somewhere. So I'm currently working for Kroger here in our community. It's a small community in Maumelle. So I'm working there um, part-time and I love it. I enjoy it. There's days, but I enjoy the majority of my time there. Right. Well, very good. I bet you get to meet a lot of interesting people in that job. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of a book club with your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. So they're readers, I guess, as you are. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So we're here today. We really want to talk about your daughter, Caitlin. So tell us a little bit about Caitlin in particular. Help us get to know her a little bit. 
Oh my goodness. Caitlin was full of life. She um, enjoyed people. She loved to talk to the elderly folks specifically. Uh, she did work in an assistant living for a little while, and then she did some in-home care for a little while, but that was her passion. She loved being with them and just hearing their stories, learning about their history. She was a big John F. Kennedy fan. She had a lot of John F. Kennedy books. Um, she could tell you a lot about the first ladies. So she was very nerdy in that way, but she um, she did love it. And that was one of her passions. And then two, family was everything to Caitlin. She loved her siblings. Um, she loved just talking to them, being with them. Caitlin was also one of these people that she could make you so mad in one second and then have you belly laughing in the next. And she was just, she's just so much fun. She was a light in this family and there's six kids. And so Caitlin is number five of those six kids. And she definitely was a link to all of them. There was a time where she created, because they're all over the place. They're in different cities and states actually. And uh, Caitlin connected them with a sibling Snapchat. And so they talked daily, just, you know, catching up, seeing what was going on with each other. And she was usually the one that was always starting the conversation. I love that. Um, she actually, just with her interest in JFK and the first ladies and, and all of that, she reminds me a little bit of Hannah. That sounds like the kind of thing that she would be into <laughs> as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, I know there are a lot of specific details about Caitlin's death that you don't really know, but would you take a little bit of time and just share with us what happened to her? Yes. Um, it was February 27th of 2018. Um, I talked to Caitlin at 1.20 in the afternoon and she was going home. She lived with us and she was going home. And of course, there's lots of things about that day that we will never know. I have come to the realization that I don't need to know mm -hmm. all of the details. We do know that she was intercepted by someone who was in our neighborhood that should not have been there, either in the home or in the driveway. But he had broken in and taken a bunch of stuff and he took Caitlin with him. When he left our house, he was in her car. And so he left because he was walking in the neighborhood. So he didn't have a car. So he took Caitlin in Caitlin's car, drove her to a remote area. And that's where he took her life and he left in her car. So, again, there's just really so many things about that that we don't know. But that is the major part of what we do know. So this gentleman was also had just been released from prison less than 60 days prior to him committing this crime. So he immediately was picked up that same night just by a fluke, which people call it a fluke. I call it a God thing yes. because it, it was just one of those things that you can't explain it any other way. But they did pick him up. And what because he was a felon, he had my husband's gun on him. And so because of that, they were able to pick him up and take him back to prison. So he has been in prison since that day. 
that he uh, took her life. Yeah. Now, you all did not know right away what had happened to Caitlin, right? I, I know you, he was picked up that night, but you still didn't have any answers. You didn't know where Caitlin was, right? Correct. We uh, spent that week trying to find her. We searched for her. The girls made flyers and put them up all over the community, asking people if they saw her. We know that Sonic was one of the places that she stopped, the last place that she stopped before she went home. So people knew her at Sonic. She uh, should have owned stock in it, but (laughs) she was always there. So they remembered seeing her, but no one was with her. So we knew that she was by herself at that time. But it was six days later uh, on March the 5th that the detectives came to our home and told us that she had been found, uh, but that she wasn't alive. So when they picked him up that night, did they make the connection between him and Caitlin at that time? Or was he just picked up for another reason completely? Right. He was picked up um, on unrelated charges, mainly because of the gun charge. He right. um, Because he had that gun, he was a felon. So he was picked up for that. They did not make that connection right away. They didn't connect her car to her specifically. So that took a little bit of time before they made that connection. That was part of the key part that did help them once they did find her, Mm -hmm. um, that that was her. They did make that connection afterwards. Yeah. So what, what was it like those six days where, when you didn't know, how did you get through each day? I prayed consistently. I prayed that God would find her, that he would help us find her. I prayed that he would bring her home. I remember I went to work because I didn't know what else to do, to be honest. I just needed to go. I needed to do. But during the day, anytime I had a clear mind, I would just sit and pray this same prayer over and over I spent every night on my knees in her room praying that God would help us find her and that he would bring her home. So the week was a huge, huge week. It seemed like it took forever to get through that week. But the kids, because they are in different states, we actually sat down at the dining room table a couple of times that night at nighttime and we all got together via, you know, conference call on the phones and we prayed, read scripture and prayed more. Yeah. Uh, so that was the, the extent of that week is just spending a lot of time in prayer. Mm-hmm. Did you feel during that week that there might have been foul play at that point? Or did you feel like she was going to be coming home that maybe she was just... She had just gone somewhere for a little while. What what were your thoughts as far as what had happened? Being a mama, mm-hmm. we know our kids, right? Yes. We know them. And one of the things from day one, I, I said that there was something wrong. Something wasn't right. There was two things that Caitlin would never have left home with. And one was her blanket that I had made all the kids, but I had made hers It's a hot pink on one side and a leopard on the other side. She never went anywhere without that 
blanket with her, if she spent the night with her sister, you know, that went with her, no matter where she was, well, that blanket was on her bed. Her makeup case was in the floor. So I knew that something was wrong immediately. It was frustrating to to say the least because no one really listened to me. No one really could hear what I was saying to them. So it was frustrating during that week. Um, I had even called on that next day asking that they put out a missing person. Well, because of her age, because she was 26, they told me that um, she probably just left home. Mm. But I knew that Caitlin would not have taken things from our home. She would not have just ran off. She was such a homebody. And also she just, she would not do that to me. I knew that if she was in trouble, she would try to contact me no matter what. Since she did not reach out to me Mm -hmm. that whole week, I just knew by the end of the week, I felt that things just weren't right and that things might just turn out for the worst. Yeah. Yeah. So when the police came and told you that they had found her body, um, what was that moment like for you? I remember sitting in the chair and the moment he uttered those words that she was not alive, I could visibly feel every ounce of my body shatter to the floor. Yeah. And all I could do was sit and stare at those pieces. And I remember sitting there and I thought, I don't know what just happened. I don't understand this. You know, where is God in all of this? And at some point I got up and walked out and sat on the porch. And remember I had prayed so hard that week that he would bring her home that I sat on the porch and I just said, God, I got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't have words. I don't know what to say to you anymore. I don't know how how to communicate to you anymore. So you know, you know where I'm at. You know where my heart is at this moment. Just be with us. Just be with us. So I know the very next day I woke up and I felt his presence. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, I knew that God did answer our prayers we were able to find Caitlin. So we weren't spending years not knowing where she was or what happened to her. Right. And also he took her home. Yes. He took her home with him. So at that point is where I started to feel a little bit of peace, still shattered, still broken, still numb, you know, not knowing if I was up or down. Yeah. But I knew at that point that God had me. He had me. Yeah. So once you found out what had happened and and things began to progress, you then I'm sure were launched onto this, into this journey through the court system. I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. I know we have folks that, that listen to this podcast who have been through that or who are just maybe beginning that journey or are right in the middle of that journey. And um, I would love for you to just share, share about that. Anything you would like to talk about? 
Okay. Well, the court system is a very slow, painful, frustrating process. Nothing goes fast. We spent uh, a lot of time with scheduled court dates that would be canceled and then rescheduled to be canceled again. Yeah. So in our situation, because he was in federal prison, it took three months each time a court date was set. It would take three months to get him here because of all the paperwork that was involved. He had to be transported. We had a small window of time that he could be brought to Tennessee and then sent back to Kentucky. So that was a frustrating process in itself. We um, spent a lot of time in prayer during that time that we would not have to endure a trial, but everything's pointed in that direction. He was not going to admit to what he had done. He wasn't taking any ownership whatsoever. He was very adamant. He had nothing to do with it, although everything stacked against him, right? So the court process... Um, was very lengthy and they told us in the very beginning that it wouldn't be a quick process. But one thing that I had to do was to really trust in our attorney and I had to trust that God was going to be with us the entire time. One of the prayers that I prayed during that time was Exodus fourteen fourteen, which tells us that God will fight for us. We just need to be still. So daily I prayed that prayer. I prayed over that scripture, just asking God continue to fight for us and just continue to just work us through this process. And I knew that timing is, is everything in this process, right? So I added that to my prayers that he would fight for us. And I trusted his timing. I had to trust in his timing, even though it got frustrating. And even though these dates kept getting shifted, that was the biggest thing was having trust. Yeah. And I love that scripture, the Exodus 14, 14 scripture that the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I would imagine that the be still part is the hardest part of that. Oh, absolutely. Because you want answers. Yes. You want to know why, you know, you just, it's all those questions that you have. And of course, through this whole court process that we're in, we get to 2020 and Steve died on April the 9th of 2020. And that's your and husband. It, yeah, that was my husband. Mm -hmm. And at that time, of course, that threw my world into a tailspin again. Yes. And I found myself here facing this by myself at this time. Candace, uh, our daughter, had been transferred to Florida with her job. And that was in June of 2020, just shortly, not even hardly a month after Steve had passed away. And so the next court date that was coming up was for a motion hearing. And the motion hearing obviously was mainly to defend some of the motions that the uh, public defender had submitted, trying to suppress evidence. So I knew that I was coming up on that and that I was going to have to face this by myself. Yeah. I was literally going to have to go in there. 
But I started praying and asking God, just be with me, stay with me, please fight for us, you know, fight for justice for Caitlin. And so we come up on April of 2021 and I had gotten a call saying that we were going to go to court for this motion hearing. And in April, they called me back twice and told me that those dates had to be rescheduled. The last date that was rescheduled was due to um, family emergency with the, the public defender, and he was not going to be able to be there on that date. So they rescheduled that date for May the 6th of 2021. So I go to Tennessee. I'm in Arkansas, so I go to Tennessee. And God sent me some angels to be in that, that courtroom with me. It was two friends of Steve's that he became very close to when he was um, a county commissioner and also a director in uh, the court system in Murfreesboro. So they came with me and one of the wives came and they sat with me. It's COVID, so no yeah. one can be in the courtroom, right? So they right. were allowed to come in. So our Sergeant Craig, who was the one who was working the case with us the entire time, he became another one of my angels. And I could not have done a lot of this without Sergeant Craig in my corner. So when we got there, there was a fury of things going on. One of the things that I also had prayed for was um, a plea that this guy would take a plea and that it would be a plea that would ensure that he was in prison for the rest of his life. One of the things, too, we were also September 2021 was our trial day. That was the trial day. So we knew we were heading toward that trial. And so I really, really prayed for a plea um, and just begged God, please just push this on him that he will take a plea yes. knowing that Steve wasn't here, knowing that our kids were in different States. I didn't want to face it and I didn't want them to face it. So one of the verses that was really just big for me was that the Lord, your God is one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. And on May 6th, I was told that he wanted to take a plea. So back and forth for a little while, and we made it, we finally came to an agreement with that plea. And so we go into the courtroom, they plead the case. He is sentenced to 40 years without the possibility of parole until he serves 100% of that, which means it is a life sentence for him. Yeah. with his age and the number of years that he has to serve. But the biggest thing about that day, about May 6th, where God's timing is so perfect, is that it was the national day of prayer. So God answered our prayers. And I, I think about it all the time and think about how great God is that he waited to that day. That day was rescheduled to May 6th and that he showed me that with all of his promises, that he promised to fight for her. And that day we did win the victory. Yeah. What a blessing. It's so, it's so neat to think about God's timing and the way he just works things out like that. I love that. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Debbie Irvin. 
Be sure to come back next week as we discuss issues of forgiveness and to hear some words of advice about working through the court system from someone who's been there. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.